0: Everyone, welcome back or welcome to an all-new episode of the 20% podcast. This is the podcast where I bring you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you could implement in your current job today. I'm your host, Tyler Mekis. This week's episode is a recording that I did a couple weeks ago on lanterns, keeping the lights on, LinkedIn live show. And today's guest is Luke Farrell. Luke is currently the senior director of customer success at Outreach, and we had a great conversation. We discussed breaking down careers in CS, how to grow a scaling CS team the importance of customer success in the support relationship, as well as taking CS from a cost center to a revenue generator. So without further ado, please welcome my friend, Mr. Luke Farrell to the 20% podcast. All right, everyone, welcome to another edition of Keeping the Lights On. This is the show where we bring you the best of the best in customer success, account management, sales, you name it. All those folks who keep the lights on at our companies. Now, super excited for today's guest. This week's guest served in the military for six years prior to serving customers now by helping them helping teams create and close more pipeline at Outreach. So please join me in welcoming the Senior Director of Customer Success at Outreach, Mr. Luke Farrell. Luke, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Yeah, I'm
1: pumped to be here. Uh, Super excited. Yeah, like you said, I spent spent a lot of time in the military. It's funny because there are some parallels. There are some not. It, It definitely helps to alleviate stress when you think, man, this is not life and death uh but yeah been been
0: loving the transition and i'm I'm excited to dig into it absolutely and we're going to be talking a lot about transitions today luke as well super jam-packed episode that we have here for today for everyone and just as a reminder for those in the comments make sure you're sharing where where you're at where you're coming from what company you're working for and then ultimately asking questions for luke and i to address throughout the course of the show now today's agenda we're going to be talking about breaking down careers in customer success How many different jobs? It's not just one size fits all. And Luke will be uh, diving into that. going to be talking about this, the growth of scaling customer success. What is this scaling thing? We're going to make sure we're talking about that. The importance of customer success and the relationship that they have with support. As it turns out, you actually have to work cross-functionally with customer success. And they're one of the biggest um, uh, keystones, I believe, in the organization. Finally, we're going to be talking about how to go from being a cost center to a revenue generator and so much more. Luke, you ready to kick this thing off? Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. all right. All right. So before we're jumping in to breaking down careers and customer success, I want to break down your career before you got into customer success. So I know I mentioned before you were in the military for a number of years, studied behavioral science, statistics, applied uh, applied measurements and psychometrics. I don't even know what that is. So tell us a little bit more about uh, what your background was ultimately before you started to get into this uh, the senior director role over at Outreach.
1: Yeah, so I started out in, in the military. I went to the Air Force Academy, uh, and I like I think psychology is super interesting, right? Like it's interesting to see how people think, why they think that way, and how to influence people. And so I studied that. But then like come junior senior year, I was like, oh shoot, I need to get a job when I graduate. At some point, I need to be employable. And so I, I was like, I better lean into the math. And instead of being a pilot, which was made me infinitely cooler. I, I decided I want to be a statistician in the Air Force. And so the Air Force luckily sent me to grad school for statistics, did that. And then while I was in uh, the Air Force, I worked in combat search and rescue and electronic attack. So essentially, like, how do we optimize our tactics? So that instead of spending 10 minutes on the ground in an in a operation, we're spending eight minutes and we increase survivability. Some of the coolest, most meaningful stuff I've done in my life. Loved it. I was not like the cool guy with the beard. Like I was the nerd behind the cool guy with the beard. But at least they let me hang out with them once in a while. So that was cool. Um, And then did that. And then I got out of the Air Force. I speak a couple East Asian languages. So originally I worked in China doing work and I applied to do that full time. The Air Force said, hey, you're good at learning languages. Why don't you learn Arabic? I didn't want to go. I have children and they were like, you can't bring your kids with you. So I was like, "Uh, maybe maybe the Middle East learning Arabic isn't for me. So it got out and then I went to uh, McMaster car. It's an industrial supply distributor right right here a- and did supply chain optimization. I didn't know anything to be honest about tech or about like non military government careers. So it was a great experience. I loved it. It was a really mature company, but eventually I got the itch to build. So instead after a couple of years there, I-, I was like, you know, what? I want to go earlier fa- stage Qualtrics called me, which at the time was a much smaller company And they were looking for someone with my background to run support operations. And I was like, yeah, cool. Let's do it. Uh, Did that. But pretty soon I realized like, I want to get closer to strategy revenue and the customer. And so I ended up moving over to customer success and we should dig into that uh, on how that whole thing happened. Cause I talked to a lot of folks and they say like, they're they're looking to transition into CS. And and so, yeah, we should just talk about it. And then, yeah, go ahead. Oh,
0: nope. No, absolutely. I didn't want to cut you off. No,
1: and then I was going to say, so I did CS at, at Qualtrics. One of the, I owned uh, operations, so like all the data, and then a, a CS team as I was learning kind of the CS discipline. What's cool about when you own all the data is you see all the problems. And so we started to see that our churn numbers were really high for our low dollar accounts. And so I got to go build a scale team for a low dollar accounts. And that was really meaningful. And then uh, kind of got to the point where I was like, I got the itch to build again. And so that's when I moved over to outreach because I used the product and I loved it.
0: There's so many different things to jump into there. Um, <laughs> number one, I mean, let's start up with the the data and the operation side of things as well. right? Uh, when we talk about transferability of skills, right? data is huge in customer success, especially in 2023. Right, and to your point, there's so many teams. Almost every customer that we talk about, when you when you have, you know, even taking a step back, looking at this macro environment, right, where we're typically uh, customer budgets are starting to go down, but we still need to make sure that we have that same level of customer success. Um, However, with that churn number going up, when we're talking about this net revenue retention thing, a lot of the time we're only focusing on the highest ARR accounts for our customers, and not really focusing on some of those mid tier ones that are either churning or the ones that have a potential to to really grow and have that nice upside. Talk to me a little bit more about why it's so important for customer success leaders like yourself, whether you're uh, early stage just building or you're in the spot you are right now with really optimizing on using that data to your advantage.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's huge because you got to be able to go a couple clicks down, right? Like the key metrics and customer success are often like, what's your NRR, what's your GRR, which are great. But
0: the problem is they can mask so many things. So for example, when I was a Those closer, lagging coach. indicators as well, right. right? That's just telling you how you, how you did over the past couple months, right? When you right. Get- and and oh. you're going to
1: pivot so slow if that's all you look at, because you're going to say like, well, our, our NRR is good, but what you don't know. So this is an example at, at outreach, our we sell by the seat. And so your allocation, if, if you're not using seats, right? Like you're, you're not likely to renew them. And so we would have, look at our allocation and wouldn't see a relationship necessarily with renewal rate. But when you offset by two quarters, there's a 93% correlation. And so like, that's where as a, as a CS leader, if you're a little data smart, I'm not saying you should be a data scientist. And I think a lot of people get that wrong. Like when they, I talk to a lot of folks transitioning from the military, just come my background and they're like, oh, I've been learning Python. I've been doing all this. And it's like, honestly, that's overkill like just get in there and be able to synthesize data, the most technical skill, maybe you learn how to write a couple of SQL queries, but then you can go and do things where you say, oh man, our allocation six months out leads to our renewal rate in six months. And so then you can start to take a leading indicator and take action on it rather than just being tied to your renewal rate. And then the next step in that is, metrics drive behavior. And so if you just metric your CS team on renewal rate, well, guess what? They're going to turn into used car salesmen because they're going to call you at Q4 every time and be like, what does it take to get you to renew?
0: <laughs> oh, 30 days out, right? What are, Here comes our reminder. Yeah. And it's
1: so transactional and you're not like the goal of CS is to climb the value ladder and be an advisor. But if you're not metricing your CSMs on things earlier in the cycle, like they're going to, they're going to perform to where they're managed.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit more about CS metrics right now. Obviously NRR is one of those, those lagging indicators and no teams are, are paid on that. So obviously that's an important metric, right? But w- let's talk about w- what are some of those other metrics that customer success leaders or, or even CEOs or somebody else should be really focusing in on right now to really help drive that action, right? Yeah, I, I'm a big advocate of having an operating rhythm where we say,
1: and you, and it doesn't even have to be perfect because you're going to iterate over time. But being able to have an operating rhythm and say, at X months, we want this to happen. And at X plus two, we want this to happen. And then seeing how your CSMs adhere to that. The nice thing is you log each of those events, and then you can go back in your data and say what impacted renewal, what impacted all this stuff. And then that lets you close the outer loop and iterate. I also like having a, um, a health score, but I think the health score has to be um, analytical, analytical. It can't just be CSM sentiment because then what you have is CSMs will say, well, I want all my accounts to be green and they're green. And then that doesn't help you actually action anything. And so if you have an analytical one, then you can say, I want to see how many of my customers are in each of these buckets. So I can metric the CSMs on that. And you can also metric, are they doing the behaviors that we need them to do that we as leaders believe drives renewal? And then it's on the leader to determine what those activities are.
0: No, absolutely. And, and just diving into that customer health thing as well. And that, that's one of the different, that's what we do at lantern. That's one of the things we have, a. you know, we're obviously pulling all of your customer data onto one platform, but we're helping, we're we're leveraging AI and leveraging machine learning to help with that customer health so that it's not just that, that specific, right. It, It, I want this account to be green. It's no, what is actually a green customer like, based upon what they're actually doing, based upon our relationships that we have with them, with the conversations that we're having with them, right? I think there's too much subjectability um, if you're not actually having some type of, of tool in place like that as well. You yeah, it's a huge
1: part. deal. The hard part is like, I think what people do, and I, I've been victim of this as well, is you, you look for perfect and you're like, oh, you know, this has to be 92% recall or whatever. But it's like, just start with something. Like mm-hmm. right now we'll look at like, do they have tickets coming into support? Now, what I want to know is what's the sentiment of those tickets? Cause they could have 10 tickets and they're all like, we love you. And it's like, okay, then I shouldn't react. But if they're all, we hate you, then I need to do something different. And so like, but at least do like, okay, how many tickets are coming into support? And then you can get better over time.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. We need to, we need to have a full holistic view of what's going on with these customers. It's not just one metric or not one other. It's, we need to look at the, the accumulation all, of all of those different areas. Um. So, I can yeah. well, that's, that's a huge thing. I know we're going to talk about scaling at some point, but like that's a huge thing with
1: scaling. When you start to scale your CS organization, you're all of a sudden not going to have one on one contacts with people, and you're going to have 50 60 percent of your customers that don't even engage with you, but they're engaging with other parts of the organization, whether it's web page or other things. And so, it, it becomes 10 times more important as you scale your CS org.
0: So let's, let's, I mean, now that we're on scaling, right. I mean, and that's really interesting too, because, uh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to have the, the cart before the horse here, but um, what is this scaled thing? Because we, we see, a, we hear a lot more of this for, for CS folks listening in um, you probably know what this is already, but for those who don't know, what is scaling customer success?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, at the end of the day, CS is an expensive discipline. So you're generally going to, and it doesn't create, um, operating margin. So generally what you'll do is you'll say for every $3.5 million or so, I'm going to assign a CSM. Problem is as your revenue grows, your cost is going to grow proportionally to that. Um, That has always mattered, but today in today's environment, it matters more and more. And so you need to find ways to say, well, how do we get our CSMs to service more revenue? Because, and then there's also the other part of it is you have um, low dollar accounts that oftentimes can be neglected and actually get worse service when they're with the name CSM because of the way the metrics and your incentives are. So really at the, at the base of it, it's how do I create margin out of CS?
0: Yeah. And, and, but the question here that I have the Luke is that if it's not creating opera up operationally operation or operating margin, I should say, why would we need to add more CS, right? The CEO CFO is looking at this right now saying, They're not bringing in revenue. They are a a cost center, right? Why do we need to bring somebody else on? Why is that so important? And how how do we ultimately, what's the message that we need to be sending to CEOs or some of those other folks so that they can understand that customer success is at the core of being able to hold on to our customers and and maintain these relationships?
1: Yeah, I mean, I love CFOs. Uh, Sometimes CFOs like focus a lot on money. And so you need to speak their language and you need to be able to say, like your CS program will be very successful if you can say for every dollar you give me, I will give you $2 back. And so it means you got to track that in a couple of different ways. You need, to be able to, you need to be able to articulate your impact on NRR. Well, really on GRR, I would break it up into two things. So GRR, like your retention rate. So you can have retention rates with CSMs, retention rates without CSMs. The other thing that I'm a big advocate of, I think that it's important that CSMs are advisory rather than commercial, right? It's really hard to get someone to trust you when they know at the end of the day, you really just care about the expansion. So I don't like to metric CSMs purely on expansion, but I do think that CSMs need to create expansion opportunities. So in the course of my conversation with someone, let's say I'm at Qualtrics and I'm talking about customer experience because that's the platform they have signed up for. Well, I also have employee experience. And so in the course of my conversation, I should be able to say, hey, you guys are doing great with customer experience. Have you ever thought about how your employee experience impacts your customer experience? Then they say, yeah. And I say, well, we actually have this product. Would that be interesting to you? simple as that, just some low key discovery. And then I can pass that to sales and let them go do their sales thing. Because then now I have created an opportunity. And at the end of the day, I can go to the VP of finance or the CFO and say, not only have I increased retention, but I have uncovered, you know, X million dollars of opportunity. So I want $500,000 of incremental budget, and I will give you back a million dollars and 250K of it will come from retention and 250K of it or not a million, my math is bad. 500K will come from uh, renewals and 500K is gonna come from extra added expansion that you're gonna get.
0: I love that. And, and that's a core theme that we see a lot of teams going at as well right now, right? You know, we talked to, you know, I, I just think of a VP of CS a couple of weeks ago and she's the, the main thing she said was like, I want to be able to go to my CFO and say, we are this revenue generator. Look at these numbers. This is what we're doing. There's no way that you should be cutting me off from having some of these other folks But there's a lot of things that are are really important in getting there. But yeah, I mean, and you just look at the time right now, like you want to be tied to revenue (laughs) like
1: this. It's a, it's a tough time in tech, you know, unfortunately, and it's going to turn around and everything's going to be great. But like now is the time to say, like, I can quantify my impact.
0: No, absolutely. And we see, we see a lot of customers terming that customer success, qualified leads, or, or how are we just attributing those, that same revenue to some of those other folks? One of the other interesting things too that we see a lot of customers working on Luke that I'm curious to hear from your perspective is that um, we see a lot of customer success and account management teams actually starting to work more with their new uh, with their business development folks on leveraging their champion their former champions or their former power users and getting them and setting them up as a new business lead potentially. Do you see a lot of uh, how? What are your thoughts on on trying to? leverage some of those previous champions or former champions to drive net new business as well. Cause it's, it seems like it's a, a pretty big focus for Yeah, uh, I love uh, that. In, in that conversation.
1: Yeah. I love that. It's funny. I was actually talking to a friend the other day and we were like, man, if we could track all of our champions, cause like at, in the age of mobility, companies don't buy champions buy, right? Like I, I know who the buyer on some of these accounts are and you better believe when they move to a new customer, like I'm going to go ping them and I'm so much more likely to close them. So we were like, man, we should start a business where we just track all these people And there and did some research and there are some some businesses out there doing that. But I think that's-
0: Lantern does that as well, by the way. Do
1: you? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. okay. I love that. Because like at the end of the day, like I have a good friend and and he's just, he's he's the type of person who will put his neck out and like he will make purchase. Purchasing decisions are scary, right? You're putting your neck on the line. And so when he moves to a new company, like, I'm like, you got to talk to this guy because even if he doesn't have the influence yet, like he will. And, and if I can get in with him, like that's the guy. And it matters so much more than multi-threading and going like and talking to a SDR and then talking to someone else. Like, if you can find the guy right away, man, it's so efficient.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And a lot of teams right now, to your point of wanting to start a business, obviously, uh, you know, there's, there's some other uh, competitors in the space too that just focus more specifically on just pulling data from CRM. But because we're pulling data from all of your sources, a lot of your champions are not actually in, uh, in Salesforce mm-hmm. or, or in HubSpot specifically. So it's really important to be able to have um, – to be able to see from your analytics providers or some of those other areas who those most important people are. The yeah, final huge one, deal.
1: Well, we even have – we have, we have the problem sometimes of like we have a bunch of people in Salesforce, and we want to go talk to someone about, hey, we audited your platform and you need to do X. Well, we don't know like who's actually the admin. We don't, or like, who is the commercial buyer? Like, sometimes we don't know those. So knowing your personas, huge in terms of expansion, right? Like we just talked about, but also in terms of how you can scale your scale your team. If you don't know personas, like you're just really shooting into a black hole.
0: Well, and, that, and this is another area of potential churn risk too, right? When we think about multi-threading, do we have that executive relationship? Do we have these champions? Do we have additional power users? Do we have a potential power user who could become a champion? Yeah. Later on, right. And, and, and again, I I don't mean to be pitching lantern here, but <laughs> the, the point being is that you're hitting on all of those areas as well, because we see a lot of customers where multi-threading or losing that champion is a huge churn, uh, uh, a churn, churn risk. So making yeah, sure well, that you have those systems in place to understand who's going to be changing and who could we bring up next. And ultimately having a game plan on how to actually go about that is really crucial. And we have that all in one spot too, as well. Yeah.
1: Well, And, and you have to do it. And so like you mentioned SDRs and BDRs getting involved, So there's a cost if you don't have it. Like what we do is we'll say, Hey, SDRs, BDRs, you, um, they'll they'll start multi-threading on accounts that we don't have like an above the line champion. We'll say we have an admin, but we need to get to like the VP level, go help us get there, which is great. And and it's a good solution, but there's a cost associated with it. So if we had that data right up front, then we save all that SDR BDR time. We go close more new net, new net, new deals.
0: Right. Yeah. These, these, um, these teams need to be, and again, it, it kind of, I know we're going to be talking about it later from going from a, from like reactive to proactive, but a lot of the time people don't have time in the day to, to be proactive with a lot of this stuff. So to the point of getting BDRs, surfacing those insights to them. So they don't have to go through a spreadsheet, right? We see a lot of customers who, Oh, let's go check out our Looker instance and see this person was, they were a, a power user before, but now they haven't been active in 28 days. Let's go look on LinkedIn and see what they did. Oh, they don't have a job change yet. Right. It's all manual. But if you have that ability to surface that insight to them, that that's, that's the most, you know, if I only have one hour in my day where I could do proactive work, I want to make sure that I'm doing the highest impact, high value work. And I think that's um, another crucial thing. And I think that ties into some of the the scaling stuff as well. But while we're on the topic of scaling CS, I know we wanted to break down some of the roles in customer success. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit more about, you know, Talk to us a little bit more about the the different career options that we have in customer success and where people, you know, whether you had a background in in the military and operations, right? You could go more in CS ops or or go into CS if you want to build like, like Luke did. Tell us a little bit more about where, where some of these other job potentials are in customer success. Yeah,
1: it's interesting. When I talk to a lot of folks about career transitioning, I, I'm a big advocate of use a single pivot. And so a lot of folks will say like, oh, I've been in the military. I've been a logistics officer. I want to get into customer success, and I say like, awesome, more power to you. What I would recommend is find a position where you're not pivoting industry and role at the same time. So you're leaving the military, you're going to pivot industry, and so if you can find something that aligns really closely to your role, then you're more likely to get that job. Because as much as like I love uh, military and people love military, there's there's going to be the question like, how did leading logistics troop apply to being a CSM? So Um, like you said, ops is a good one if you're a little bit more mathematically inclined. You know, a lot of a lot of ops you're gonna be sitting with the tech stack, and you're gonna be sitting with the data and you need to surface that. I would say someone who is new in ops should be able to surface data and understand tech stack. Someone who's gonna be a manager or senior manager should be able to give us the so what, the like this is what we should go and do about it. So I think that's that's to me is the difference in ops. And then CS, I, because there's been so much scale, it's kind of created another entry point, which is great. So in outreach anyway, we have customer success advisors and then we have customer success managers. Our advisors are the folks who it's really our entry point. And they come in and for a year or two or whatever whatever it ends up being, they're really going to focus on getting really good at the discipline of customer success. But it's going to be in a little bit lower threat environment. They're going to be dealing with sub 40K accounts. And then as they improve and they gain those skills, they have the opportunity to move up market to where they have named accounts. So I love having that bifurcation. Another thing that you can do is we have customer success engineers and some companies will have customer success engineers. Some won't. It depends on probably your size and your complexity of your product. If you have a more complex product and the company starts to get larger, you'll probably need customer success engineers. And those are folks generally who can be customer facing, but are a little bit more technical and can get into like, what's the Salesforce sync? What are what are some of the error reporting? And how should you optimize your instance to reduce errors or, or to technically set up your instance? So those are, I think, ops, CS. Uh, a which i would say is the entry point the scaled csm and then csm and then customer success engineer are the primary ones that come to mind
0: yeah absolutely and and where ultimately is there one of those roles that's more important than another and i don't mean to put anybody down by that but uh but where's where's some of your thoughts there uh i think cs
1: ops is growing in importance uh like we live in a data-driven world we're getting better as, as you and i were talking about lantern provides all these data insights and so we're starting to get more insights. And so you need people that can think strategically about those. So I think, I think they're all important and matter for different reasons, right? If you have a $5 million client, you need a CSM that is personable, that can make strategic decisions and strategic plans, do a lot of change management, and you don't want to lose that $5 million client. That's going to make a big impact on your business. I, I, maybe it's just my data background, but I'm pretty partial to CS ops. I think they play a huge role.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, we see uh, operations just from the selling perspective, right? I mean, operations has a has a buy-in to every single one of these conversations because it's so important that making sure that you're able to oper- operationalize whatever you're doing and having those people on the back end who do have that technical nature, so they could go in. And obviously, you know, outreach. I'm sure there's some complexities that you have with that. So um, c- very crucial to have somebody who's uh, who's able to help that portion and, and try to ease um, any of the potential uh, areas where where you are there now too. As a reminder, I see I see there's some comments coming in here down at the bottom. Keep um, keep shouting some of those out, Kenneth. I see Alex out there, Andrew and uh, and Isaiah. So big shout outs to, to all of you down there. Please make sure that you're still continuing to ask these questions. As as uh, you know, Luke and I will be happy to to fire back on them any way that we can here. All right, now a couple other things you talked about already uh, today, Luke, that we want to dive into before we move into um, some of these uh, the the importance of these te- all of these teams working together. Right? You mentioned in the military you were trying to do uh, do more. Um, in that, in you try to convert that time from 10 minutes to eight minutes, right? Like it's, it's so important in whatever job we're doing to try to cut down on some of that efficiency in that time. How are you going about trying to make your CSMs more uh, efficient or, or what is the, what is one of the biggest lessons that, um, that leaders could do to make their teams more efficient in their day to day?
1: Yeah. You know, in the military, in some ways it's harder because the stakes are higher, but in a lot of ways it's easier because you know what the mission is and everybody is really bought in because it's about bringing people home alive, right? Like you're not going to get a lot of debate when someone's like, Hey, I know this may help me live, but I don't really want to do it. Like people, people are just going to do it. And, And so that's the, that's where I've seen the primary difference in the commercial world. Like you have sales, you have CS and support. And I think those are the three that have to be working hand in hand in hand. And and so I think there's really a triangle of customer needs. So like at the bottom, you have technical how-to, and, and I think generally support lives in that area. Um, they, oh man, I just posted a triangle. I got to find this, but essentially you have, you have support down at the bottom and however high they go, if they go to level five and it's just like technical how to, well, then level four, I think is really like the learning and education. Well, that's going to fall somewhere. The customer is going to get their needs met. And so then that will go to a CSM and then the CSM will have a hard time climbing to level three, which is probably like advisory. And, And then the AE Who would normally be at like level three or level two, where you're starting to get to evangelism and purchasing and pushing the the solution out in the organization, they're gonna have a hard time getting to that because they're talking about advising. And so, like it really sometimes I think CS gives support a little bit of bad name because they're like, We're not support, and they're always banging on that drum. But like support is so important. And unless you have a great support org, you are not gonna be an effective CS org.
0: No, absolutely. And before we jump into that, uh, another before we jump into the relationship there between CS and support, Alex asked a really great question here as well. You have a CSM who has a really uh, oversized book of business and they're not being able to to focus there. How do you recommend that they prioritize uh, their time with these accounts?
1: Yeah, it's a great question because I think we all have that. Um, I'm a big fan of like, talk to the customers who want to talk to you. So sometimes there are customers, like we have customers who have incredible usage they don't really want to talk to us, and I think about this too. Like I'm a CS leader, and so like I use Tableau. I'm happy with my use of Tableau.
0: If it's not um, broke, don't fix it. Right? Yeah,
1: like if a CSM from Tableau is emailing me, I'm like, "Hey, I want to talk about your strategy." I'm like, "Dude, I just want the dashboard to work. Like, I'm good. I'm happy. Like, leave me alone. I'll sign the renewal next year." Well, like maybe don't talk to that guy. Put him in a scaled form where he can get support where when he needs it in ad hoc ad hoc basis, or if you see some triggers that necessitate in intervening. But like. Maybe don't give that person a name, CM, re, CSM, regardless of revenue. So I think that's one, see who needs you and who wants to interact with you. And if they're healthy. Now, if they're unhealthy, like you got to go figure out how to make them healthy, whether they want to interact with you or not.
0: And that's a tough thing because a lot of the times be, uh, we've all, you know, I, I, I was, uh, I was the head of account management over at Dooley prior to uh, to coming to Lantern. So I have a, a lot of the uh, conversations with a lot of these customer success teams uh, are really working really closely with them. And you would just bang your head against the wall saying, like, why don't you want this help? We know that we are beneficial. We know that we're going to help you here. Like you, we talk to your teams and they have all these pain points. How do we go about trying to actually help that too? So it's really interesting where we, we see that pretty frequently. Yeah.
1: I, I think it's a huge thing is like shout out to Nate Broom, our VP of sales at Outreach. Dude's phenomenal. And wh- what he does great is he has his team call their shots on accounts and says like, these are the accounts that we're going to go expand. And then our CS team gets them and says, are these healthy? What do we do need to do to make these healthy? Because like, if you're going and working on expanding these accounts, and then like it gets to the CFO and the CFO is like, you're using half your seats, like your deal's dead and you've wasted a quarter. Right. And so he does a great job of aligning those. I think it's awesome.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're not like, you know, if you're in a spot where you're, this is my philosophy, obviously more on the account management side too, but it's like, you're not going to if you're in a spot where you could expand that customer that means they need to be healthy and that means that the the um the renewal should be already taken care of so if you're at that point so you don't need to worry about churn in that specific account if you're already expanding that and if you're if you see that usage is not uh, as high as it needs to be you need to make sure that you're bumping that up as high as you need to or showing at least over time that like hey we need to to maybe this person we need to take them out of this scaled and we need to uh, get a little bit more one-on-one time with them so that we could really build up that relationship, have this conversation, and then we'll be in that spot to, to upsell. But just yeah, in that vein, I think you got to tie them together too.
1: So like what we saw earlier years was we saw customers who would upgrade and then, you know, for whatever reason, they would downgrade at their renewal three months later. And so it's like, if, when someone wants to give, I'm a big fan of when someone wants to give me money, take the money. <laughs> and so if someone wants to upgrade and they're two months away from renewal, like pair the conversation, like don't have that conversation twice, make it easy on you
0: and the customer. Right. Why, why could, why are we going to try to go back to that table twice? Why don't we, Hey, why don't we could, we could set up something where we're going to renew you early and give you a little bit more of a, a, a discount or something like that in order to get them staying up. So you could even get that extra revenue, uh, another year uh, or a couple months early as well. Now I see yeah, Kenneth sure. asked a, a pretty interesting question here too. He'd love your perspective on quota carrying customer success, right? And this makes, you know, I talked to Brooke Simmons formerly of, of Specit as a, our first episode. Yeah, of, Brooke's awesome. I love Brooke. I just
1: worked
0: on. with her. Oh, oh did you? I, I yeah, saw she was in outreach
1: the, before she was there.
0: A, a unbelievable human being. And I know uh, we, were, we were talking a lot on the first show uh, about quota carrying customer success and in, in, like... Customer success teams uh, naturally are afraid of selling, right? Selling is just this icky word and it makes them nervous or tense up when when you're thinking about trying to carry that. What's your perspective on on, on that outside of, I I know you already alluded to it a little bit further of, hey, maybe the CS team isn't actually um, trying to push, uh, like actually sell. They're going to be passing it over to their AEs. But how do you walk that fine line of being able to, hey, we have this quote. Can you have a quota at the same time as doing that? or, Or what does that look like?
1: Yeah, it's a great, it's great. I love this topic. Um, I think selling sucks when you don't believe in the product, because then you feel like you're trying to take advantage of people and you're pushing people to do something that may or may not be good for them. And so I think that's the number one thing is you got to get your CSMs understanding the value of the product and bought in. I, I had a position when I was younger where I was, where I was selling. And for the first little bit, like, I just, I felt like I was trying to get people to like make a deal that benefited me. And that as as time went on, I started to see how it benefited them. And then it became like, look, I'm really just trying to help. And and so CSMs have to get to that level. Otherwise they're never going to be comfortable. But then I think also CSMs, once they're at that level are probably talking about other products and talking about other things, because really at the end of the day, if I'm talking about outreach, I think I'm doing it wrong. I should be talking about sales engagement and sales discipline, right? I should be talking about all of that. And then outreach is a solution to that. And so as you do that, you're not just going to focus on this one area of your product. Other things, will, other things will pop up. And so I think already CSMs are doing a lot of that. My thought on quotas is like, I want them to get credit. At the end of the day, I want CSMs to be seen for the value that they provide. And so while I don't love saying like, you need to close... You know, this business, because I don't think CSM are great closers, if I'm being honest. I I do think when you uncover business and then you can go and celebrate that CSM and say this CSM had, you know, $800,000 that they uncovered of expansion. And then that CSM can get to President's Club like that. Just that feels that feels great
0: right and we'll we'll be able to get them a little bit more variable compensation or maybe some additional bonuses in there which i know teams are i mean uh, if somebody's trying to offer me a bonus i'm i'm not going to be upset about that Well, i'll usually take it yep and and, and jean pierre said something really interesting here too he he came up in sales and he was molded by it so then when he went into customer success it was uh it was nothing for him so big yeah. shout out there i think that's really interesting background
1: Yeah. Yeah. Jump here. I I love hiring. Like when I look at who I like to hire into CS, obviously I love tenured CSMs, right? Like who know what they're doing, but I love SDRs, BDRs, because I know that they have that grit and that grind. They're also not afraid of hard conversations with customers. Like in CS, you're going to have hard conversations with customers because you're going to have a VP that's going to come to you and say, I want to do it X way. And you're going to say, that is not how you should do it. Listen to me. I'm 25 and you've been in business (laughs) for 20 years. So I also love, um, I love recruiters, which uh, because recruiters have to go influence executives, right. And you have to influence people at the end of the day, what's more important to, to most people than their career. There's probably a couple things like your family and those things, but careers probably in the top five. And so if you can influence people to change their career, like you can probably influence them to update their sales program.
0: Right. And a lot of the things too, and I know we talked about it with Brooke, it's like Customer success teams, you have to understand, whether you have a recruiting background, sales background, whatever, just being in the nature of a customer success role, you have selling skills, right? Sales is just the the transfer of enthusiasm. It's communication. It's problem solving. It's negotiations, right? You'd have all of those skills already as well, inherently in customer success. So sales doesn't have to be icky. I think that we just have that negative connotation to it. Um, so that's, this is also my plug a little bit of just trying to better the sales profession because we're not, we're not all bad used car salesmen as woman or something like that. Right.
1: Yeah. I think, I think the best CSMs have an element of sales because like it gets to the point you're really trying to help the customer. And oftentimes the best thing for the customer is to go expend revenue in this area so they can three X their, their, their incoming revenue
0: right and now when we're talking about uh, and this is obviously a nice segue into and i see I see a couple other questions in here too that we'll make sure we we get to at the end um this this whole topic it's all talking about being going from being a cost center uh to uh to a revenue generator right so like customer i i, I lost my thought of where i was where i was going to be taking this one uh but but more specifically right like why do you think like is that feasible in in this new year like are like are we going to be able to do that Yeah, I mean, I think
1: so. I I think it takes some effort, right? And it takes the hardest part about that is documentation, being able to document and being able to almost AB test like, okay, I have a CSM attached here who did all the things that they're supposed to do in their operating rhythm. And then I have something that for whatever reason didn't go right. I'm not saying like purposefully don't service customers, but like it's going to happen. And so then you can say this customer we serviced, this customer we didn't service, like what was the difference? And I guarantee there's going to be a difference there. And then I like if you track your CSQLs, you need to find a way to track them. Whether you you set a quota or not, the first step is tracking. Like track them, track them, track them, I beg you. And then you can set the quota. Then you can have the conversation. It's also way easier to do the change management if you've been tracking them because then you can go to your CS team and you can say, hey, if we had been setting a quota last year, guess what? On average, the comp would have moved from 120 to 132. And so that makes change management a lot easier. Right. Oh yeah. Show me the money. Right. <laughs> what, what am I actually driving towards? Right. Yeah. People, people get nervous. I was just looking up. I, there are some questions that I ask in every CSM interview. And I think it applies to folks that are transitioning. And also like, it shows what you do in CS. The one is I always ask people like, tell me about a time you've been advisory, which I define as so a customer wanted something and you had to tell them they want, you actually want something else. The other thing I ask is like, explain something in technical to me in a simple way and I don't even care what it is sometimes people will explain to me like the proper form of how to squat I don't care just make it so it's super simple and I can understand because if you can do that like you
0: can be a CSM well I mean I think that's a crucial life skill being able to 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 translate anything that you're being able to do into a, an easier way if you're able to teach that then that means that you ultimately have a really good understanding of how to do that actual skill as well I see yeah. Luca, I'm sorry, Mark Marty had a great question here as well. Someone in sales looking to transition to CS. what's the biggest area of opportunity or growth needed to be successful as a customer success rep?
1: Oh, that's a great question. And I love Marty. Marty and I have chatted before. Um, You know, it it depends kind of where you've been selling, right? Like if you've been doing enterprise sales where you've had six month sales cycles, like you're pretty much already there. I think that the difference will be is you're gonna have more of a set rhythm. And so you're going to have, like, you, you need to be able to track, like, when did I have a, I, I don't know, maybe you do that in sales. Maybe I don't know enough about sales, but like you need to be able to say I had, you know, an EBR, and these are the outcomes that I wanted to have. And then I had a, I set up a success plan with a customer. And these are the things that we're going to go accomplish. Now, I think you probably do that a lot in like enterprise sales, where you have a six month deal cycle, but at the really high level CS to me, you should have a success plan that you decide on early with the customer where you say, what is success this next year? You're probably meeting with a VP to do that. Like overall, what's the best outcome? And then you're probably meeting with directors below that to say, OK, what are the initiatives we're going to run to ensure we hit that? And then CS really turns into like this is a dirty secret. Don't tell anyone. But CS turns into project management because no, then you are pushing people along that line.
0: Absolutely. And, and that's, um, you know, obviously sometimes they need a, a, but it's important too. There's a number of uh, of different things that jump into in there. It, it amazes me Luke that so many teams don't actually like we see like the, the AE to, I was talking to Jan young about this yesterday. It's, um, it's really interesting about how, um, the transition from like a a net new account was just sold, but they're at risk already from the CS team because they don't actually have a nice smooth handoff there or even aligning on these customer goals. Now tell me, how could a customer be at risk if they just signed on? Or why would a customer success rep need to ask them what these main priorities are? Uh, like, what are your main, you know, say Luke signs on with Lantern, then I ask you, what are your main priorities? Oh, it's wild. You already know that, and that should be well documented. That blows my mind. What's your thoughts? Yeah, on that? it's mind
1: blowing. I and I and I think like, it's mind blowing, but I've seen it. Right, like oh, it happens we spent all this time in sales doing discovery. And I think as a discipline where CS needs to get a lot better is discovery. We do a lot of, this is the optimal use case. It looks like, cool, but like, what do you want to accomplish? So as long as, and so we, we kind of, we put the customer in a box when we don't have discovery.
0: That's it. And discovery is just being curious and asking questions that align to where you're actually next. And if you know what those goals and those price, like it blows my mind, Luke. I, 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 can't, I don't even have the words to it here. Um, but like, me. you
1: got to document that stuff. And I, and I see like, we put a lot of stuff in Salesforce. Salesforce uh, can get messy. No, no, no offense to Salesforce in any way, but like it can get messy. And so I think you have to have a really crisp and clear process on that handover. Otherwise you are going to start to annoy your customers and they are going to get at risk. Like, gosh, darn it. If the, if I keep using Tableau and I, I use Tableau because I am happy with them,
0: but like, if they Shout came to me tableau, we're, we, Luke is going to be renewing the contracts so don't <laughs> worry about that but we're just example right <laughs> yeah yeah tableau like if they came to me
1: every 3 months and we're like what do you want to accomplish i'd be like get out of here right
0: and i think that's a situational awareness of understanding where your customer are is, is in the journey or even asking early on when you're talking about that uh Setting them up for success. It's how frequently would you like to be talked to? What's the best means of communication for us? Right. That's just another step and another level of care, which it is maybe some teams aren't getting getting to, um, but it's really crucial. Now, the yeah. other crucial thing that we see in customer success as well is QBRs, right? Or we think that they're QB that they're important. I know a hot take on QBRs is that a lot of the time it's teams talking about the company that they work for and really being yeah. focused on that. What are your thoughts on QBRs and how could we make them better? And and thank you for the question, Cynthia. Yeah,
1: Cynthia, love it. Um, If your QBR is something that is just like, I have to get done three months before the renewal and it's to talk about my features, then your QBRs suck. (laughs) I'm like, nobody wants to do them and half of them are gonna get canceled beforehand. QBRs to me should be built on the backbone of the success plan. And they should be updates on what the customer is accomplishing with on that plan and then how, um, they need to change. Uh, but if, if you just, if you just do them to talk about your software, like, gosh, everybody hates them.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's like, what, what actually, how are we aligning to the goals and objectives that we already put out and are we doing, it should be more of a reinforcement of being able to help with that renewal or saying, Hey, we're achieving the actual goals that you had set out. And here's the examples of how we do this. Yeah, and QBRs, like I, I'll jump in.
1: QBRs should not be based around your product. Like as a CSM, you should hardly ever be talking about your product. You should be talking about the discipline and you should be talking about the goals of the customer because that's where they're interested. My my gold standard is if, if we write a QBR that the customer can turn around and let's say they're a director and they can hand it to their VP or they can present at their C-level and say, this is what our sales org is doing and this is where we need to improve. Like, sure, we're going to have some outreach stuff in there, but if they can just turn it around and use it in their business, well, guess what? I just got somebody's job to be a lot easier and I'm helping them get promoted. Do
0: you think they're going to buy from me again? I think they will. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and the, the, t- the name of the job is customer success. It's not employee success. It's not outreach success, right? We need to focus on the customer and be more customer centric here as well. And, and and Cynthia said as well, we we want to make sure that we're focusing on the customers' business outcomes, which that's why we're in business in the first place as well. So so big shout out there. All right, Luke. Another quick question as we're diving in here. I know we talked about uh, when in the name of of customer success and really making sure that we're um, focusing on these customers. Uh, there's a huge focus on the importance of being uh, having a great relationship between customer success and support. Why
1: mm-hmm. is that?
0: Why is that function so important? And what are teams doing incorrectly today that needs to be fixed on that vein?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of like kicking back and forth and saying like, this is a support thing. This is a CS thing. And and I call that like, again, you know, no offense to the Department of Transportation or whoever owns the DMV, but like, that's like DMVing a customer or MVD based on where you live. And saying like, no, you got to go to the here and, and sign this form and do this. Like, that's a terrible experience for a customer. I also think, you know, we talked earlier about how there's a triangle. I'm looking at it over here on my other screen. There's level one is technical needs. Level two is adoption and training enablement. Number level three is optimization, which is really how do we get the software to work the way that's the best. Number four is the business value. And number five is evangelism. And so if support is just one, which I would call technical needs, the break, fix, well then, level 2 which is adoption, training and enablement, that's what your CS team is going to spend their time in. And I don't think that that's as high a value of activity as you can have. And so ideally, I like a support team that will do one, break fix, but can then also talk about like how do I turn it on? How do I get users in the program? Is is anything broken? Can I and then, you know, maybe a little bit of like, oh, I you should probably set it up this way.
0: No, absolutely. And I, I, I think, and obviously I would love to, to get that triangle as well. We could, we could share that out uh, on the lantern page and, and, and get that out to, to folks as well. But I just keep hearing like the Maslow's hi- hierarchy of, of needs going on here as well. And when I think about, uh, you know, obviously when you think about these transitions into these different co- the, uh, career progression, tying it back to what we are talking about before, does it make sense for somebody to go from being that customer success advocate to customer success and then to support or do you think that you think doing a round and support would help you to ultimately be a better customer success rep? What, what, are you, what are your thoughts there? I mean, I'm biased here because I came from support. Right. And so I,
1: I generally think like if you do support first, it will make you a better CSM. Um, not because you should go and do the support of the customer as a CSM, but you'll understand, like you said, that hierarchy of needs. So I'm a big fan of like a pipeline from support to CS. And then I love the idea of like funneling it back. Like I could see CS leaders going back and leading support because now they understand the CS side. So the more crossflow there is there, the the better. I'm a big fan of that. I also think that there should be crossflow between, um, AEs as well. Like we should be hiring AEs. We should be pushing CSMs to AEs. One of my favorite CSMs, Sanders Christensen, he's at Qualtrics. He, he was a CSM for a long time. And then he moved into an AE role and I'll I don't know his numbers, but I'll bet you he's doing really well because he understands what the customers want for their value. He understands the post-sale process.
0: And that's one of the big things about, you know, a, a little bit more about my background. I was a, an account manager for the first four years of my, uh, of my career. And then I ultimately went to, to head Dooley's account management too, prior to jumping over to, to head sales here at Lantern. But one of the big things that I learned in the post-sale side of things in the revenue expansion in those areas is that the customer journey, it, it's, it, it, are, The deal isn't done when there's a closed one opportunity, when the deal signed, that's just the beginning of the customer journey. And I think more account executives, if we start, and I think if you went from being a customer success manager over to the net new business side of sales, or at least what I've learned from that, that transition is that we know that it's so important to number one, get customer success in early, um, because we can, uh, customers are going to buy much more frequently when they could feel like they're actually in that seat. But they ultimately need to know that they're going to be taken care of as soon as that closed one happens, and it's not just the "Hey, I hit my quota, I got my, I, I got the the deal signed, I'm done with you." Right? Any feedback there? Yeah, I mean, like
1: you look at one of the biggest SaaS metrics is uh, LTV to CAC, so lifetime value to customer acquisition cost, and so marketing and your sales org drives that customer acquisition cost. In the SaaS industry, oftentimes customers don't pay for themselves in the first year. And so sometimes we, we, we think about like, oh, what is customer success about? Is it about uh, growth? And is it about retention? I don't know. I think that kind of misses the mark uh, because customer success is about optimizing the lifetime value of a customer. And then you use um, the vehicle to do that is to create account health. And then the symptom of that is renewal and expansion.
0: Yeah, that's so fantastic. I know I know Alex mentioned here as well. NRR is all part of that portion too, but it's really yeah. interesting how um, it really it, it all comes together and I think that uh, I think that customer success, I think more teams are starting to focus on this. I think there's a big there's a bigger shift in the market from just that net new side of things over to the importance of customer success in retaining and, and, and especially while we're going through this this little economic blurb, uh blip or whatever you know what you mentioned before. But I think now more than ever, I think teams are, are starting to understand or at least we hope, that they're understanding the importance of customer success because uh, it's not you know it, when you think of customer success you probably don't think is the most glorious thing but right now when you're trying to to help NRR and you're trying to save your customers you better believe that they're some of the most important people in these in these companies.
1: Yeah, it super matters. You know, I I have a great CEO, uh, but I, I'll tell you I've seen more of him as we've had this economic downturn uh, because like at the end of the day you got to protect the revenue you have and it's probably the greatest. Growth engine that you have. Um, I'm good friends with Mark Kozaglow, who is a catalyst a CRO, and he's a great follow on LinkedIn. I recommend him. But he's been putting a ton of stuff out about how, as a sales leader, CS is wildly important right now because you're not, it, the net new logos are a lot harder to get.
0: No, absolutely. And we're seeing a lot of shifts as well, Luke, of these CS teams actually starting to align more to sales because they're focusing on that revenue expansion or seeing that main focus. So um, it's really interesting to see um, where those, those shifts are starting to happen. And I think it's, I think hopefully CS is starting to get the glory that we, we much, uh, that, that those teams really, uh, deserve because they know how hard, hard it is and, and how tough it is when, Hey, you have a couple churns going on or, but you still have to maintain your customer support and keep other customers happy. Um, they're getting beat down a lot. I know we talk about yeah. the health side of things in, in, uh, in, in sales, but uh, I think it's really important on the CS side. It also, like,
1: you have a different personality type, right? Like, so my military background, I think of, like, to me at the end of the day, like, sales is the, is the tip of the spear, right? Like, they're the pilots, they're the warfighters, and CS is maybe the support officer that helps make sure that everything is in line so that the sales can go do their jobs. And I think having that kind of an attitude as a CS leader helps you keep your eye on what really matters. And different people want different things. Like in the Air Force, I didn't want to be a pilot, but you have to recognize like they're the ones who are putting their butts on the line, and so you got to figure out at the end of the day how do you support the mission.
0: No, that's it, and what it comes down to is everybody's working together, and I think it's really important that uh, that you're you're leveraging the different ways, the different communication styles, or even technologies that can help center all of the all of your go to market teams around your customer and in making sure that everybody's staying in touch. So I think this is fantastic, Luke question. I know we're starting to wrap up here as well. I know we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll have time for a couple final questions, but the big question that I want to ask you, Luke is obviously the name of the show is keeping the lights on. What do you think the biggest need or or the biggest way that customer success teams are going to be able to do or or what they need to do to keep the lights on in 2023?
1: Yeah, it sounds simple, but I think it's about having process and adhering to that process and staying ahead of things. So We've done that well in some ways and we have ways to improve on it in our organization. So if you have a customer that you haven't forecasted risk and you haven't had conversation with them and all of a sudden something pops up and it's 10 days before renewal, like you're cooked, you're not, you're not getting it. And so being able to have a clean process where I can look at individual accounts and I can say there is risk six months out and then we can go have a game plan against that. And then I can share that up with the rest of the business. It's amazing what the business can do when you enable them all. We just had a customer who was going to churn because they wanted a partnership with, our, with us. We didn't know how to do that. And it, was, it wasn't something we'd done before, but we have a partner's team. And so we said, hey, partners, like, you just go talk to this customer. And we got that customer. Now, if we hadn't been ahead of that risk, never happens.
0: And Alex said a great proactive versus reactive. Yeah. Now, see, yeah has, reactive, so- you just lose. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, obviously I study, I study exercise science in, 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 college as well. And like being proactive is the best medicine, right? Instead of trying to cure your diabetes, why not try to do the things ahead of time to where you don't actually get that diabetes. And I know there's some, a lot of other factors there. Sure, yeah. You get the main, you get the main gist of being proactive and thinking about those things that could happen six, 12, 20 years down the road is really crucial for you as well. Well, and how
1: much, how much are you going to be a trusted advisor when you go to someone who put their neck on the line to buy this software and you go and say like, Ooh, Hey, here's a problem. Like let's fix it before anything bad goes happens in your org. Well, now that
0: person's going to come to you for everything. Right. And that's you actually caring about their business and understanding, which is probably a whole nother podcast that we could probably get into. Now I see Cynthia has a question here as well. I don't know what CHI is. So maybe you could help me on this Luke thoughts on key metrics. I'm guessing
1: customer health indicator, but I don't know. Um, I do think NPS is, is generally overrated just because my statistics background is like, I'm getting a, I don't know how statistically significant it is. I, I don't know if it's wildly indicative of churn and it depends on how you do your NPS program, but I, I just don't think it's wildly indicative to be honest with you.
0: Right. And Cynthia, to answer your question from our perspective, one of the things in a customer health indicator, I believe she was correct there. Are you were correct there, Luke? Um, what we're doing with, on the customer health portion as well is we're pulling in your customer data of understanding what, what's the sentiment in, their e- in those email conversations? What's the sentiment in these Slack conversations? Where, how often are you talking to those folks? Um, what's the level of user sophistication that they have? All of those different areas um, besides NPS are really important and being able to pull all that stuff together helps you understand and have that 360 view on what that customer health is some of the other ones too are you know how many Zendesk tickets or how many support tickets do they have in a, in a certain time frame because obviously if they have a lot of a lot of tickets they're not going to be happy and there's gonna be some more customer health issues there as well Luke did I miss anything from your side no I think you got it awesome Luke any other thoughts questions feedback anything else you want to share with the audience before we uh, before we hang this one up for the day no I I Yes. Yeah, I guess there is. Um, I've been thinking a lot about careers and those
1: sorts of things like we've seen like scrolling LinkedIn is doom scrolling right now. It's hard. And and so I've been thinking about careers and those sorts of things. And, And generally looking back at my own career like things tend to work out. And I've, I've looked back and I've been like, oh, I missed this opportunity. Like I had an offer at Amazon in 2014 or Tesla in 2014. And I'm like, man, those stock options would be worth a lot now. But like, I think you generally end up within one or two standard deviations of where you would be. And so as, as people stress, it's a stressful environment. I think it's good to just take that zoomed out perspective and realize like you were hired because you're great. Um, if you're laid off, you're still great. And everything will continue to work
0: out. Luke, I love that message. I know that that's, that resonates with me and I'm sure it resonates with a lot of other folks here as well. Luke, where can people learn more about you, Outreach, everything else you have going on?
1: Yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn. I love I love LinkedIn. I think it's the greatest platform in the world. So please connect with me on LinkedIn uh, and let's just have any conversation there. Awesome. Where can people more, learn more about Outreach and what you guys are doing there? Yeah, just check out outreach.io. Uh, the big thing that we've changed lately is for a long time, we have been a sales engagement platform. So like, how do you email and how do you call people? And I think that's great. But at the end of the day, like you need to be able to go and create opportunities, but you need to be able to push them all the way through close. So you have conversational intelligence and then you have forecasting. And so to me, like engage is really like an SDR AE prospecting tool, but then you have conversational intelligence and you have success plans. To me, that's an AE tool. How do I go and get better win rates? How do I close more deals? And then you have forecasting, which to me is a sales leadership tool where you can say like okay are these deals real what should I be telling my board
0: yeah that's fantastic and, and now more than ever all these teams are just trying to to consolidate their technology and trying to do more with with these one tool so it sounds like outreach is, is way ahead of that as well Luke yeah thank you so much for taking your time taking the time today and thank you so much everyone for all the engagements and thoughts in the in the comments we will see you next week on keeping the lights on have a great week everyone thank you so much see y'all thanks. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your,